Welcome to another David McCracken Ministries podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. It's always an honor and a privilege to come. And as I said in the first service, um, when you have two people like Malcolm and Karen, it's very easy to love them. And uh, I was speaking to some of the other pastors and people over here uh, from other places uh, yesterday, and they were sharing with me the ways in which Malcolm and Karen and this church have been such a blessing to them. And I want to tell you that Father sees all of that. And when I remember 20 years ago, I remember the little place. I remember the little congregation. But I remember the heart of two people that have settled an issue. This, they were in it to serve him. They were in it to love people and to serve God. And you know what? In 20 years, they have not wavered. Uh, and I've seen a lot of people start the race, but it's how they finish the counts. And I want to give them honor too this morning because it's been a great privilege. And, and now, of course, Malcolm's on my board, which technically means he tells me what to do. But, uh, so it's a very mutual thing. Um, this morning, I felt the Lord give me three fra- uh, phrases to share with you and uh, then to amplify the last two. Um, but before I do that, there's a, a couple right up there, second row from the back. The lady just glanced up. She's getting something out of her bag. Uh, okay. Uh, and he's writing, and now he's looking sideways. Yes. And I know they must be connected because they look very connected. Uh, <clears throat> I just felt the phrase run through my spirit that now, now's the time. I, I, I see, I don't know what it is, but I see like uh, preparation. I see pieces of the jigsaw being prepared and different uh, items getting prepared. Then suddenly it's like it all starts to come together, but really quickly. And I felt a note of urgency in my spirit that, that something is going to come together very quickly for you to. So be alert, be vigilant, and be ready. Okay. Um, oh, Leighton. I'm not sure you'd be even here this morning. Um, hey, when I was in the worship, I saw you at a desk, and I saw these Bibles on the desk. Now, there were um, little paperback Bibles, and there was normal-sized Bibles and different sizes of Bibles and translations of Bibles. And so all indicating uh, depths of study demanded. But I saw this huge, great, big one sitting at, on the side of the desk, and it was huge. It's like one of these things that you see sometimes getting valued, you know, like a big ornate things on it it was huge and it was just sitting there and I felt the Lord said just take a look inside I looked inside and there were comments made in the Bible by a guy that lived 100 years ago and 200 years ago and 300 years ago and all of this and I thought wow and but because it it looked old and because it was from a past era nobody really would pay attention to it because everybody's contemporary and everybody's looking at the paperback and everybody's looking at the smaller Bible. It's easier to read and etc. But I felt the Lord say, he's going to lead you into that. 
And you're going to have a season of discovering what the fathers have said. You're going to have a season of discovering, it sounds a crazy thing to say, but like even church history and things of that nature. It's like, like God is going to add an awareness of the depth of what he's been doing over many generations that will suddenly bring into focus things that are happening today and why. Okay, praise the Lord. Okay, I want to get into it. Um, well, I was going to get into it. There's a young lady down there with a hat on. Well, it's not actually a hat. It's, um, it's something. Uh, um, and I, I, I see things in picture form. Uh, I saw these canoes in a, in a river, and I, I saw them obviously about about to take a wrong turn the river and i saw different people kind of yell at them didn't make any difference then they kind of tried to shove against it didn't make any difference or anything like that and it's, it's not silly but i'm just telling what i saw then i saw it's like you went you were in the water underneath the canoe and you just gently, gently kind of got the underneath and you just kind of steered it quietly and gently a little at a time and they almost didn't notice what was happening and you steered them in the right direction and the lord's going to give you a a very non-obtrusive kind of way of communicating wisdom and insight that is going to put some of your age group not obviously the ones around you now. They're obviously very godly. But, uh, um, <laughs> the, um, but I see in, you influencing your generation, but in the most subtle, wisdom-like way that turns them back into the flow of what God intended. You know? And it's going to be based on compassion. And it's going to be based in care. It's going to be based in, in that fact, that's what's going to give you the door of utterance to speak to them. It's going to be your compassion and your care, and the fact that in the secret place that they know nothing about, you have been on your knees for them. Okay, good. Okay, Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning that you have already given ample evidence, Father, of your great love for us, given us opportunity, Lord, to love you in return and our worship. And Father, we ask now for Holy Spirit just to make known to us your word and to make it clear. And Father, that every single person in this building, from the newest Christian in this building, Lord, to pastors and leaders that have been in uh, the journey for a long time, Father, I just pray this day that every individual will hear what you're saying to them in particular. We be careful to give you alone the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Just three things that I felt the Lord say to me as read the church itself was concerned before I preach the word, and that is one, that a time of increased conquest demands a time of reappraisal for that conquest. Um, I said in the first service that when the Lord gave me that, I, I thought I kind of shook my head a little bit. I thought, 
Lord help us. I said, goodness me, when I look at what's been accomplished in the last 20 years, when I look at what you've already happened, when I look at this building, when I look at all the passes out yesterday, I look at the global conquest, I look at the increase of this congregation, and I look at all of what's been taking place in the last few years, and I thought, my God, surely the word that you would give me would be something like, take a break. Yeah, um, have a holiday, uh, take a few years out, you know, uh, go to the Caribbean, something like that. But in actual fact, the Lord didn't say that to me at all. Yeah, don't go claiming it. Um, so the Lord actually talked to me about a time of increased conquest, which will demand a time of reappraisal for that conquest, which will affect strategy, personnel, changes, and rearrangements. The second two statements were these, that the original, the original promise, the original commission is still very much alive. Number, the last one was a phrase that I'd never heard before, never heard preached on it before. I've certainly never seen it before. Do not settle at Haran. So I want to amplify those two statements now, and I want us to go to Genesis chapter 15. And just as you're finding Genesis 15, I want to make this statement that we all go through transitions in life, and they're all important, and they're all God-given and God-allowed. But friends, a transition is never a destination. It's, it's something, an insert of time on your way to the destination. And transition is not something you travel to, it's something you travel through. And that's so, so important. Let's go to Genesis 15 and verse 1. You alive and well? You ready to go? I'll ask again. You ready to go? All right. Genesis 15 verse 1. After these things. Now, friends, whenever you read something like that, you've got to stop right there. After these things. And in other words, what you're about to read, well, you'll miss it entirely. You'll miss the significance of what you're about to read unless you understand what the these things that he's referring to are. And so what are the these things? Because he said after these things. Well, and he's in chapter 15 here. In chapter 12, we have the incredible visitation of God to Abram in which he tells him that he's going to make him the father of the nations and he's going to make his seed like the stars of the heavens. And I mean, it's one of the most incredible prophetic declarations of God over an individual anywhere in the Bible. And so that's chapter 12. Then you get to chapter 14. In the beginning of chapter 14, he's going out on conquest and he's and he's taking on serious uh, serious armies and kings and he's defeating the whole lot and he defeats kings and he comes for, back successful uh, wealthy with all the goodies and so it's nothing but success and conquest and breakthrough and visitation and then in the end of chapter 14 he meets Melchizedek and he has another spiritual encounter and another prophetic confirmation and blessing I mean tell you when you read after these things, <laughs> they're pretty incredible things. They're amazing things. What a journey this man has had for two or three chapters. And so after these things, God speaks. And he says, do not be afraid. And another one says, do not get anxious, Abram. I am your shield. 
I am your exceedingly great reward. Friends, after what we just discovered about these things, why on earth would Abram need to be reminded of God's faithfulness and God's great reward? I mean, he's just had, he's had conquest after conquest. He's had visitation after visitation. He, he's successful. He's had conquest. He's been made wealthy. I mean, why on earth would that man ever need reassurance about anything? Good question. Well, verse 2 reveals it to us. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, a servant born in my house is my heir. And so what's he saying? He's saying, listen, I go forth to conquer and conquer and on behalf of other people and even my clan and my wider relatives and followers, they're all wealthy, they're all blessed because of me. And I know I'm considered incredibly successful, but what about my own secret desire? What about my personal promise? What about the thing that you promised me as an individual in chapter 12? Because that doesn't look one step closer to reality than it did when you said it. And so God begins to address that personal need. And verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one, the servant of your house, shall not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, your own loins. He shall be your heir. And so he directly addresses Abram's area of concern and burden. And then verse 5, he brought him outside and said, Look now towards the heavens and count the stars, if in fact you're able to number them. And he said, So shall your descendants be. And the emphasis is on the word your. In other words, out of your loins, not out of Eliezer, yours, yours, yours. Your grace, your anointing, your grace, you. Not them next door and not all the ones that you work on behalf of and not all the ones that are blessed because of you. You, you as an individual, your loins, your grace, your anointing is going to bring forth fruit and it's going to be extravagant fruit. It is going to be insanely abundant fruit. And so he, he showed him the stars of the heavens. But the thing was, he said, it's going to be out of your loins. Friends, it says that Abraham believed God in the next verse, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. And then he said to him, I am the Lord, verse 7, who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, or the land of Canaan, to inherit it. That's important words. I'll tell you later. In other words, he's saying, I'm still the God of chapter 12. I I've never changed my mind. I haven't diluted it. I haven't downgraded it. I haven't made it more reasonable. Uh, actually, what I said to you in chapter 12, I still intend to bring to pass. I'm a God that keeps my promises. I'm a God that once I make covenant, that's it. And I don't have, and right now he's saying to, uh, to uh, Abram that even though it looks improbable now, even though it looks even more difficult now, 
even though it may even need a miracle right now. And some of you are hearing my words right now, and that's the very thought that's going through your head because I just felt it, that I oh, take a jolly miracle now. Well, it would have taken a very big miracle for him at that given point of time. But my God is a covenant-keeping God. My Father keeps his promises. Can you say amen? And we know from history that indeed that took place. And Abram became the father of Israel. He became the father of the faith, a patriarch. And, and so we see that God abundantly fulfilled the original commission given. I say all of that to say this. The original promise is still alive. And I believe prophetically I'm speaking into the lives of a lot of you here today. That you've got a promise from God. You've had a commission from God. You've had something that Father spoke into your spirit. And although uh, your life has been blessed in so many areas and so many other things have happened and it's, a lot of it's been great, there's something inside of you. But what about that? Well, what about what you said, Father, way back there? That doesn't seem any closer to reality. Now it's going to take a miracle to take place. Well, I'm telling you, he's a God of miracles. And I'm telling you that he hasn't altered the original commission, the original promise that he put in your heart in the beginning. So that's point number one. Point number one is the original, original commission is alive. The second one, well, the second one caught me totally by surprise. I've been Christian 50 years, preaching 46 years, full-time 41 years, and I figured I'd read the Bible a few times, and especially Abraham, love him, and I'd never seen this before. And you know what? I'd never heard anybody preach on it before either. Never heard it, read it in a book or anything. And here's what the Lord said to me. He said, you know all of that incredible, staggering stuff I did for Abraham? I said, yeah. Uh, and father of nation and all that. I said, yeah, incredible. He said, what, what have I intended it all for somebody else? But they didn't make it. And because of their default, Abraham was allowed to inherit it. I thought, I've never heard that before in my life. So I looked up the scripture. Genesis chapter 11, because friends, that's exactly what took place. Genesis chapter 11 is all about a man named Terah, and Terah was Abram's father. Okay, let's take a look about this now. Uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from the Ur of the Chaldeans in order to go into or to possess, depending on your translation, the land of Canaan. Did you get that? They went up out of the Ur of the Chaldeans in order to go into the land of Canaan and possess the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran. And they dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years. And Terah died in Haran. And so what we see is this. The original commission to leave the Ur of the Chaldeans and go into Canaan, the promised land, the promised inheritance, was actually originally given to Terah, Abram's 
father. But what one generation started out to possess the land about got sidetracked into Haran and eventually died there. And so what happens? Well, in order for the next generation uh, to not repeat that failure, God has to get them to leave certain things that Terah was not willing to leave. And so the word of the Lord comes a second time, and this time it comes to Terah's son, Abram. In chapter 12 and verse 1, and we find this is after Terah has died, and now the Lord is speaking to his son, the next generation. Here it goes. Now the Lord had said to Abram, listen carefully now, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So in all, I want you to get a hold of this. In order for now Abram to, pro, to possess the promise that Terah failed to possess, there are three places that Abram must be willing to leave. And they speak about three progressive degrees of cost. The first one is your country. The second one, your family. Now, don't misunderstand that. That's the Hebrew word moladet, and it means lineage or kindred or clan or relatives, but only in the wider sense. In other words, it's not talking about your brother and your sister. It might be talking about your 17th cousin removed, but, you know, it's talking about a wider kindred clan context. And the third one was your father's house. Okay, so three different degrees of cost here. There's the general cost, the first layer of cost, get out of your country. The second one is get out from your lineage, your clan area, kindred area, uh, a relative area. So, so, so that's a far greater level of cost right there. And finally, your father's house. And so that's the third uh, degree of cost involved there. And so what we've discovered with Terah is this. Please lock in with me. Here's what happened with Terah. He got the commission. He got the vision. He got the promise. Let's leave the era of the Chaldeans, and we're going to go in and possess the land of Canaan. And he was willing to get up out of his country. So first, first level of sacrifice was no problem to him. He got up out of his land and of his country, and he left his country, and he proceeded towards Canaan. But... What happened to him was he wasn't willing for the second step. Now, you see, friends, when he, when he settled at Haran, you have to understand the significance of that. You see, that place, Haran, became associated in a very special way with the wider family connection. How do I know that? Well, because he names his son Haran. And his other son, Nahor, his father-in-law was called Haran. My goodness, there were Harans all in the wider community of that family. Why? And it had become so associated with a place, Haran, that it was like this is where the this is where the clan dwells. And when it came time to leave that place, he couldn't do it. And he died there. The Bible is clear. And so, he, so what happens? The word of the Lord comes a second time, and this time comes to his son and comes to his son, Abram. Okay. Now, when I was looking at all that, and I said, wow, I've never seen that before, Lord. 
I said, what was the significance of Haran? Why did he stay there? Well, friend, the word Haran in the Hebrew means dry. It means it's the word for dry or parched or, or, or burnt, all the same word there in the Hebrew. And so what we find is that for Terah, living in that place of dryness, Haran, for sentimental reasons, eventually dries up his faith and his vision. He starts out well, but then he gets stuck at Haran and on the way, and he gets sidestrapped. So let me say this to you. A, a stepping stone becomes a dwelling place. A transition becomes somewhere where you stay instead of traveling through. And a pit stop becomes a dwelling place, a resting place. Why? Well, one, because of the human ties, the sentimentality of, of that association. And friends, can I say this really kindly? Some of you in this room are called as leaders, called to make difficult decisions. And friends, when you have conquests lining up tomorrow, you don't make those decisions based upon the sentimentality of yesterday. You base them upon what God is saying for you to do tomorrow. And that is so, so vital. You see, friends, it was a dry place. It was a dry place. A place where the presence of God, the anointing, the joy of the Lord just seeped out and that environment simply sapped his spiritual vitality. And I want to say this to you. If you have to park a while, if you have to rest a while, if you have to linger a while to catch your breath or to regroup or whatever it is, please, please, please don't do it at Haran. Don't do it in a dry place. Don't do it in a time of disappointment. Don't do it in a time of discouragement. Don't do it in a time of disillusionment. Yes, you have to travel through that. That's common to every one of us. We've all gone through seasons like that, and we have to go through seasons like that, like that in life. That's the way it is. But I'm telling you something, don't park there. Don't settle there because it will seep out your faith. It will rob you of your spiritual vitality. And one morning you wake up and you think, how on earth did I get like this? Oh, you just tarried a little long at Haran. You've got to pass through it very, very quickly. You know, taking a little moment at this phrase, Father's house, which was in actual fact the, the final level, the top shelf of sacrifice. And I looked at it because the word house there is this. It says bayat in the Hebrew. And here's what I found out about it. I found out that it has both a positive application and a negative application, and both are valid. And so I look up the positive one, and this is what it said. That which has been built, a place of abiding and security. And then I looked up the negative application of the same word. It said a prison. A prison. And I looked at it collectively and it said, that which has been built with the thought of one staying within the four walls. A place of security. Friends, yes, a place of security, yes, but it's also a place of confinement. It's a place of restriction. 
It's a placing that you're willing to settle for. And friends, I want to tell you what Haran actually represents to you sitting in your seat right now. And it means it for me. It means for no matter what your journey is, no matter what you're doing, no matter what stage you're at, let me tell you what Haran is for you. Either today or tomorrow or the next day, you will find Haran. There will be seasons when you hit Haran. And do you know what Haran is? It's this question. What are you willing to settle for? What are you willing to settle for? Where are you willing to settle? What is that for you that would entice you to camp there rather than continue? What are you willing to settle for? Friends, I didn't say this in the first service, but, but, you know, I get deeply challenged about this myself. You know, uh, Margaret and I pioneered a local church at the age of 25. Uh, uh, I mean, at 19, I was preaching in, in Fiji, actually. Uh, um, and uh, then, you know, at 25, we just... Uh, pioneered a local church and pastored down as senior ministers for until I was four, we're forty, same age, we're same age, and and uh, then then we kind of think, wow, we could do this for the rest of our life. And the Lord said, well, actually, I want you to do something else, and I want you to go itinerant. And so so then we launch out an itinerant life in New Zealand, and and then the Lord's be, and that was good. We had a high profile in New Zealand. I was on the national leadership of the of our movement and stuff like that and so it was great and then the Lord said but you can't settle here you know I got something else for you to do but Lord it's going really well here it's going good yeah but I got more and so we had a shift to the yeah, here <laughs> um, I stopped myself just in time I mean praise the Lord that I was never going to say the colonies or anything like that no um, and so and then we shift here, and it's like starting all over again, and we think, Lord. And then the Lord gives favor, and things, doors open, and, and God is good to us, and, and things are flowing fantastic. And I say, all right, Lord, thank you for that, Lord. And then the Lord turns up, but you can't settle here. I said, what do you mean? We're going to shift again? No, no, no. Now I want you to build a prophetic team to change nations. And I said, but Lord, I don't even know what that means. I have no idea what that looked at like. So I asked two or three of my friends. And we said, we don't know. I mean, high-flying friends. I wouldn't mention the name, but you'd all know them. You know, uh, um, very significant guys in this country. And I said, well, what does it look like? Well, no one's doing it. So we don't know what it looks like. I said, okay, so what do you do? Well, you just take one step at a time. Do you know what it says about Abraham? He went out not even knowing where he was going. You see, sometimes, friends, you just got to take the next step. Why? Because Father says do it. It's not logical. It's not reasonable. It's just what he said, do. So then we took on the first one, the second one, the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one, and Malcolm came on our board, and that was awesome. And, 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 and you know, we now got, what, part-time and full-time and 14 on the team. You know, I can't believe it. Pay over 10 salaries every month. 
And, and, and now today we've got team members as I'm ministering here. Helen and Malcolm Calder, they're ministering in Mount Gambia. They spoke to a whole bunch of pastors from the whole region there yesterday as I was speaking to pastors here and, and, and Steve was someplace here and uh, uh, Clayton speaking at another church and, and they're impacting the body of Christ and I don't know how many nations will touch this year. And do you know what, friends? It's all amazing. And I say, oh, Lord, now, now that I'm 66, I have to continually remember remind him of that he seems to forget and and <laughs> and I, I said now that now I'm 66 and we, we, we just about done what you said Lord I said, no 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 you can't rest there oh what do you mean well, now you're going to find a place called Antioch and it's going to be a place of refuge for the body of Christ and there's going to be prophets and teachers there and a whole bundle of stuff over the next three or four years. And I think, Lord, help me. And so I, have, I just made a pact. Father, I'll do everything you ask me to do, but you've got to keep me alive till I'm 105. <laughs> and so it's... But friends, there's just no place to settle. If you're comfortable with where you're at, it's the wrong place. And you know what I love about this place? I've watched these two journey over 20 years and they never settle for anything. And I love it. That's why we're compatible. I better move on. But what are you willing to settle for? Hmm? What about in the pursuit of a really great marriage? Have you come to an acceptable place of mediocrity, but it's okay? Less Hayran. In your pursuit of divine health, have you accepted, well, hey, everybody's got something. I just got to settle. Look, I, I can live with it. That's Hayran. In your pursuit of a God-given call or mission, have you accepted a place of spiritual contentment and a measure of fruitfulness? Well, friends, if it's not what God told you to do in the beginning, if it's not the ultimate potential of your life, then why are you sitting there? Uh, be thankful for all God's done. Worship God for all he's done. Rejoice over everything God has done, but never, ever, ever, ever be satisfied. Unless you're doing everything on this planet that God Almighty could possibly dream up for you, then we haven't finished yet. Can you say amen? Someone out there is saying, thank God he's not our pastor. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, when, I, when I, get, I get up the mountain, actually it's not up the mountain, it's out with the kangaroos, but I, 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 I get away with Father and I have these garden walks with Father and we have a little chat together and we talk and he shares some stuff with me and I, I come back and I walk in the door and I say, uh, to my PA and a couple of others in the thing, oh, I had a great time this morning. And you can see the mixed reaction. They're kind of they're grateful I had a really good time, but you can see their blood suddenly freeze, you know, because they know what that means. I just got some more stuff to do. <laughs> and they know they're the ones that are going to be doing it. Glory. But friends, in your pursuit of the miraculous, impossible dream that Father breathed into your spirit, have you accepted a logical, reasonable place? Because that's how he ran. So let me ask a question. What is it? What is it that would entice, I mean, real godly, faith-filled people to ever settle at Haran? Why would they? Let me give you six reasons. 
One, I've already paid enough price. Hey, hey, I've paid a price already. The cost is too great. Hey, enough is enough already. I've paid a price. That's number one. Number two, it's logical. I mean, the facts line up. Number three, it's reasonable. I have a measure of fruit. I have a measure of quality of life. I have a measure of success. I have a measure of what my potential is. I'm pretty content with that. That'll keep you in Haran. Number four, it offers a measure of human security where I am right now. Number five, it doesn't demand me continuing to take steps of faith and initiative. Hey, it doesn't, it ju- if I sell it, hey, Rand, I don't have to go out on any more scary, flimsy little limbs on the end of a tree and hope that God Almighty will hold me up. I, I jumped out of the boat the last two or three times. Uh, you know, if I sell it, hey, Rand, I just don't have to get out of the boat and walk on water anymore. Number six, and this is the really subtle one. It's a little afraid. After all, after all, Haran is just a season. It, it, it's just, I, I'm going to camp a while, but I know what I'm doing. I, I'll just, I'll move on in a little while. Rubbish. I, I don't believe for one moment that Tehra ever, ever, ever intended to settle at Haran. The Bible is incredibly clear. He left the Ur of the Chaldeans. Why? To go into the land of Canaan. But friends, Haran was a dry place. He picked the wrong place to park. And I never said this in the first service either, but I believe I need to say it. Do you know what? I'll tell you why it was such a dry place and I've never been there, but it's because the wells that once were there got dried up and dried wells become septic wells and they breed disease. And I'll tell you what, friends, on your journey through, if the devil can't get directly to you and stumble you in what you're doing, then do you know what he's going to do? I'll tell you what he's going to do, friends. He is going to make sure you get alongside somebody that is septic enough and open to his suggestions enough to be able to infiltrate you. And I want to tell you this, if you're men and women of faith, if you're men and women that are going somewhere with your life, your call, your, whether it's in the marketplace or the pulpit ministry or it's in a ministry of help, it doesn't matter. You know what God's called you to do. Then you better be careful about those that you allow to speak into your life. You be careful who you park around. You be careful whose voices you listen to because whatever well you drink from, you are going to become. Can you say Amen. So, working towards the eventual possibility of a probable close. Is it too late for you? What, what say right now you think, oh, Lord, help me. I think I've settled for less than I really should have. I settled at Haran. Is it too late? Friends, no, 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 no. That's the beauty of it. It's never too late. You see, Abram actually got diverted as well. After he received that magnificent promise in in Genesis chapter 12, the Bible says that he went into a time of dryness, and in that time he went down to Egypt. And initially you think, oh, no, Abram, you're making the same mistake Terah did. You shouldn't be in Egypt, man. You got diverted. 
But the difference between Terah and Abram was he didn't stay in Egypt. He, re he realized a ridiculous decision he had made and he left Egypt and the Bible says this and I love this. And he says in chapter I think 13 or whatever it is, he says he then left Egypt and went to rediscover the point that he left where he'd got off the track. And there he rediscovered the altar he had built before God before he got diverted in the beginning. And friends, he went back and rediscovered the original commission. He went back and rediscovered his original altar, his first love passion, and where that promise was burning bright in his spirit. And friends, it's never, 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 never too late. That's the wonder about our God. If you rediscover the original altar, you'll be re-empowered by the original promise. Let's just close our eyes for a moment, please. If in your heart of hearts this morning you're feeling, my God, I feel you're talking to me, Lord. I'm grateful for everything in the past. I really am. I'm... I'm grateful for all the different season transitions and journeys, but Father, I don't, I don't want to settle for less than the ultimate of your intention. I don't want to settle at anything that's more reasonable. Father, I, I want to volunteer to go on. I want to volunteer to take the whole land, to possess the promised land. My God, the whole original uh, intent of your, uh, uh, of your commission in my life. Father, I want every ounce of it. And I feel like God is saying something like that to some of you right now. It's maybe in the area of your marriage, maybe in the area of family, maybe in the area of finances or your health or your ministry or your calling or your business or whatever it is. But you know, oh, that the enormity of what Father said to you in the beginning, huh? you haven't got there yet. If that's you and you're saying, Father, I'm putting... I'm, I'm stepping up the line. Father, I, I'm crossing a line. Unconditional availability to your purposes from this moment on. Father, I want to re-embrace the totality of what you have. And then why don't you stand to your feet right now and say, Father, count me in. Count me in. Count me in. Now, don't you stand because so many are. You stand because that's what you're saying. That's what you're actually saying in your spirit. Count me in, Father. I want every ounce of it. I want every bit of it. My God, I don't want 70%, 80%. I want everything, Father, that you intended for me to see and to accomplish. Father, right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we cement these covenants, my God, because that's what's happening right now. You're renewing a covenant. You're renewing a covenant. Father, we seal these covenants this morning. Father, right now, we seal these covenants. And my God, we declare there shall be no turning back. My God, there'll be no settling. There'll be no reasonable place to settle. But my God, we will continue and we will possess and we will move forward and we will keep the spirit of conquest alive on the inside of us. Father, I'm asking now in the name of Jesus that over the next few days and weeks, my God, the visitations of the Holy Ghost will come to these men and these women, my God, 
And Lord, Father, that whatever fire is on the inside now, my God, will be touched by the Holy Ghost and it will become a raging inferno, my God, a passion and a faith and a commission that will not be quenched. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of glory, we say the destiny that's on these individuals shall come to pass. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your wonderful love. We, we are in awe that we can know you as Father and that you can think of us as sons and daughters. Oh, my God, we love you, Father. We love you, Father. We love you, Father. Why don't you just tell them for a moment? We love you, Father. We love you, Father. We're so grateful to you. You're everything to us, my Father. Thanks for listening. For more content, head to our website, davidmccracken.org.